Hello and welcome back to another edition of ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sunday night here in Australia. Uh, Sam Bruce back as usual, joined as ever by Christy Doran. Mate, um, I don't know about you, but um, I feel t- more tired than this time last week than when we were up uh, in the early hours of Sunday morning to uh, to digest, uh, to, well, first of all, to watch that Wallabies Springboks game and then digest it. Um, maybe it was an easier write-up. Maybe, uh, I don't know, the stress of last night's game of um, close finishes of what you and I do and and the fallout that comes with it. But um, I'm a bit flat today. It, it may also be the, the couple of beers I've just had at lunch. Probably that also for the first time in a little while, gloomy and a fair bit of rain this afternoon. So I think all of that, uh, you, you end up wanting to um, stay at home. And I, I dare say that's what Eddie Jones is thinking right now as well. He's probably chewing through that. He probably would have watched it once or twice. So I imagine the replay onwards or at the very least got his assistant to do it and he would have done his detail around it but one of those performances where you uh, you know 34 31 uh, it's, we've, it's we've just seen this story over and over again haven't the close losses the ability for the wallabies to draw you in to suck you in and then spit you out when you can't complete it a, like a drop kick restart. I mean, it was almost like Dunedin all over again. Remember in 2017 when yep. Curtly Bill scores, and then you're thinking, wow. Kieran Reid goes up for the big tap. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And the inability to execute those sorts of things uh, are huge when it comes to international rugby. Uh, we see it on the seven circuit all the time. You've got to be able to win your kick restarts. And unfortunately, they didn't. And I'm not sure they touched the ball again because. Clearly, Argentina get it. There's a high tackle. Um, play was allowed to continue for a little while before that occurred. And then all of a sudden, they're in the corner. They scored the try. Thanks very much. Game over. So we've seen the story before. Lots of excuses. At the end of the day, they've got to be able to overturn that quickly because there's a couple of tests before they go to France. And then all of a sudden, a World Cup and the smash and grab job is well and truly on. Sure is, and uh, excellent point around around the restarts, and of course there, uh, Eddie rewatching it and, and his assistants, and I'm sure probably a few of the Wallabies have been through it now as well. I did it the first thing this morning, and um, that's also what I noticed. The two things really: the restarts, and while they challenged Argentina on theirs, and, and Mark Norgan Idawasi, who we'll, we'll come to in greater detail as we go on, um, he was excellent on the on the attacking restart, but the defending restart there when the Wallabies were trying to catch their own ball. It was a mess really all night. Um, Tom Wright, they seemed to target and isolate him there a bit in midfield a couple of times, the Pumas. And the other big one, which I think you and I spoke about in the media box and probably both pushed Eddie on this at um, the presser as well around um, just the the accuracy of, of their clean out again. Um, just their ruck work in general. I thought Argentina were, were far better at looking after their own ball. Um, they built phases really well. I put that question to check and said, well, you didn't always finish it off. And he made that point of agreeing. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you said that because we didn't finish it off. But they looked more harmonious, more fluid with ball in hand. Once they got that going, their recycle was much better. And and that all comes down to your breakdown work, right? Your ability to, to get there, to get over the ball, um, clear those defending players away and, and recycle and, and keep the game going. And and that, to me, for the Wallabies, while they did score, you know, that nice try from that quick ball uh, down the short side um, that uh, Samu Karevi finished off, a lot of the time it was reasonably scrappy around there. And um, they got picked off a couple of times, Eddie mentioned, around their ability to turn the ball over. And then they turned it straight ball, straight back over once again. So so that were the two big things that stood out for me on, on the rewatch this morning. Yeah, no surprises. And... And Eddie touched upon in his presser, and and it was a it was an intriguing presser. I, I loved every second of it. But he said, you know, the the, the detail. He's, he touched upon the detail of around players' responsibilities of of the ball. And I think it was the turnover ball he's talking about. So there was three moments in the game where the ball spits out, or Alan Alatoa manages to steal the ball at the breakdown, not in a traditional rucking pilfer that you might see, but the ball's there, no halfback, takes it. But three times the Wallabies got it, and they turned it over immediately with the other players around there, not just being just fractionally too slow. And that's all it takes, isn't it? It's, it's honestly, it's a split second between instinctively going 
and reacting. And as soon as you react against Argentina, you know chance. They are one of the best sides at the defensive breakdown in the world. And we saw that's how they beat New Zealand last year, the historic win in New Zealand. Uh, and they continually do it against Australia. There's no doubt about it. Good to highlight those, those moments because when you think about where the Wallabies, uh, once again, people were bemoaning the fact that they had such limited time and possession and territory. And, and the possession territory, they're kind of somewhat similar because you can't play territory if you're playing hand in, in hand, your own yeah. half. Yeah, exactly. So when you've got 38% of possession, they made about 130 tackles or something like that in the first half alone. You know, there, there's there's very limited time and a halfback to be able to play quickly to get that ruck speed when you're camped so deep in your own half so often. We, we've got to tip our hat to what the Wallabies generally did with ball in hand. They were pretty, you know, bit more clinical than usual, I'd say. You, you know, the Nick White try from the back of the scrum, we saw really enterprising heads-up rugby from Mark Nolling and Eduardi to start it. Um, by playing quickly from a, from a penalty, um, shots at goal were taken uh, and 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 slotted by Quad Cooper, boltless from the tee. So there was actually a number of really good things about the game. It's just uh, you think about in the first half, probably back to back penalties that just allowed Argentina to pick away their back up, and then ultimately just slightly too slow and rolling away. And, and Jaco Piper was probably quite right to. Firstly, yellow card, um, Richie Arnold for being too slow because it yeah. had been a, a bit of a theme throughout that first half. And even early in the second half, there may have been another yellow card had uh, Julian Montoya not, not scored there. So there are a couple of things around the detail that Argentina did well and Australia didn't. Yeah, the piggyback penalties, you're right. Uh, certainly, they finished the first half far stronger, didn't they, the Pumas? And then the Wallabies gave them the opportunity to start fast in the second. I, I guess on the flip side of that, last year, a lot of Australians were bemoaning the Wallabies' slow starts, right? Yeah. And they couldn't get into games. And and this year, um, they scored the, the opening try uh, two weeks running, two you know really nice tries that show that when they get quick ball, when they get good ball, they can actually execute. Um, and, and we think back to last night, if we just bring bring it back to Nwanganidawasi again, and, and you know, everyone out there really know, needs to learn how to say his name because this kid has really stood up in the last six months. Um, started, uh, obviously, finished the, the spring tour as um, probably the the player of the the Wallabies touring party uh, was really strong in Super Rugby. Sort of tailed off a little bit towards the end potentially, but more a victim of the way the Waratahs were travelling. But last night, I mean, the thing I loved about his try and the two tries that he had a hand in was that he backed himself on each occasion, almost like he was seizing that moment. You think about um, the, the quick taps, quite often refs won't let quick taps go because they're not on the mark, but Yako was on that mark. He ran up, took it, uh, made the break and, and offloaded to right. Um, the, he was actually the guy who called, and you can see him call to Tate McDermott on the inside there ahead of Karevi's try. He's the one that, that calls for that ball down the short side, throws the ball, uh, to Marika, uh, who comes back inside to Quaid and then on to Karevi for the finish. And then, of course, the intercept. This is a kid now that's playing, you know, sky high on confidence, isn't he? And and, and I've never been a fan of the Suli Arsi Vinavali selection all year. You know that. I went through it when he was named in the April squad earlier in the year. But that right winger position now is no longer need to uh, and, and no one's going to get near him for mine. I agree. And it's not just what you've said there. It's the aerial prowess, the ability to contest off a kick restart. We spoke about that just a little bit earlier, but they can even use him better from attacking kicks. But unfortunately, much like the Waratahs this year, if you don't have the territory, it's, it is it is harder to do that. We, we see the All Blacks kick all throughout the 100 metres, even on their own 22-metre line. Often Bowden Barrett does it on the halfway line, but that's an area where Australia could do it. Um, going back to what you originally said as well, uh, with the quick starts of Eddie Jones, that's a feature of of him because I remember in 2019, uh, right the way through to the World Cup, uh, they were by far and away the, the one international side that had the most tries inside the first five minutes. 
the starter plays, I'm not, I'd love to delve a little bit deeper into why that is. Is it the Scott Wiseman to influence? We know that he's a consultant with the Wallabies and was with him uh, for England in that 2018-19 period. But keep a watch out and a look out for that because notoriously England and now Australia are starting quickly, which we hadn't seen once under Dave Rennie. The only time that we saw it, in fact, was against the Springboks in Adelaide when Fraser McWright scored after a minute. Uh, but that was that was the only time, pretty much, that they scored first yep. points. They were they missed the gate every single time, uh, pretty much every single time. But you're right, Nwanganiwasi, star, absolute star, right winger, complements Marika Korobetti so well. Who's who's busy, who's hits hard, defensively, just as good uh, as he is on the attacking ball as well. But I love the height that he offers, um, the finishing ability, the roving ability. We saw that against Wales last November, but he certainly last night did that. Um, almost had a license, I think, to yep. to go hunting for it. But uh, the question is, who's fullback? Who complements those two guys? And and it's been a question for a number of years. Um, Andrew Kellaway's, you know, starting with Tom Wright is probably more appropriate. 60 minutes, once again, uh, he's done a pretty good job, Tom Wright, but two moments, key inside 10 minutes, firstly dropping a grubber, a testy little ball, but one that you should be swallowing up every time as a fullback. That leads to a try with Dave Parecki getting beaten, skinned on the outside by Carreras. And then shortly after, I think it's the 73rd minute, Tom Wright gets the ball from Carter Gordon, he double pumps, passes it eventually to Gordon, puts him under a world of pressure. And they probably should have lost. That should have been the moment Argentina probably put the Wallabies away. But yep. in, indeed, no one in intercepts, scores. Uh, who do you think complements those guys for the fullback jersey? Is it Andrew Callaway, who's coming back from a hamstring injury? I think he's fully fit now. Jordan Bataille is coming back. I think he's another week or so away. He, he trained for the first time fully last week yep. after his wrist injury. Or, or is it a Jock Campbell who I don't think he had a great game against Tonga for Australia Ray on Friday afternoon, but has that settling, calming ability and he doesn't often make a mistake. Geez, it was a tough watch, that uh, that Tonga game on uh free-to-air television, wasn't it? I don't know whether it didn't even look like standard definition. I don't know what we were being broadcast in there. Um, I had to turn it off. It was um, giving me uh, a headache. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an excellent question, Christy. Uh, and I think probably outside of, of Hooker and it's a different kind of question to Hooker though, isn't it really? I think everyone can see that there's between the the guys who are in the running at hooker, um, there is the assembly of a, of a good hooker in there somewhere between the, the parts of all of them. But a fullback's a different story because as you as you say, you've got two guys in, in Kellaway and Pattaya who are coming back from injury. I haven't played all their rugby at fullback either. Uh, you think of Geordie, he's been moved from the wing to to fullback, originally started out with the Wallabies as an outside centre. Um, and then Kellaway has been a bit a little bit of 13, burst onto the scene with the Wallabies in, in 2021 um, as a winger. So... Look, I'm probably leaning towards Kellaway. Um, we know Jock Campbell had a pretty good game against France last year at, uh, in Paris on the spring tour and, and really hadn't been cited since. I think got he and Geordie got caught up at the Reds of being guys who were clearly you know keen to both play fullback and um, Brad Thorne trying to squeeze them both in and, and who got the one the run one week didn't necessarily get it again the next. Um, but I... I I think what it has revealed is that the Tom Wright's too, you know, flighty for Test rugby at fullback, right? It's those were the kind of things I thought in Super Rugby this year that he was starting to get out of his game. That little bit of indecision that is mixed with the absolute brilliance that he has got in his game, and and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the the brilliant tackle that he pulled off in the right hand corner last night. That um, that looked like a try for all money and a great show of strength to to bring him down, yeah. and then almost the, the second effort to to keep the ball from from going over the line. Um, but just those two moments last night when the pressure's on, um, is he the man you want at the back? And and I'm not so sure that he is. Uh, conversely, would you bring Kellaway or Pattaya straight back in at fullback uh, against the All Blacks uh, when neither of them have played? Um, certainly for what's for Kellaway, it'd be 
couple of months and, and Geordie even longer, right? Probably four months. So, um, look, mate, it's a great question. Uh, SOS to Tom Banks. Uh, um, I don't think, you know, that's probably likely. Um, could there be a curveball in there? Could there be a, a Reese Hodge or, you know, even, even a Carter Gordon at fullback? Could you see that happening? Like that's a bit of outside thinking. We, we saw last night that um, he, he performed pretty well at number 12 having been thrown in there at the deep end because of the result of the 6-2 split. And and your question that was um, so keenly fobbed off by Eddie on Thursday morning at the uh, the team announcement presser um, certainly came back to bite him. But um, is there something in that? I, I don't know, but I, I'm not sure that you can, you know, go back to right again after that game on the weekend. Well, certainly the those two massive errors. Yeah, and, and he did have a good Super Rugby season, was one of Australia's best. But if we go back to the Super Rugby semi-final against the Chiefs, there was a couple of glaring errors that he made. And when you start to stack them up, high-pressured matches where you need to, the fullback needs to be the decision-maker. They're, they're almost a captain because like, they, they elect often to kick, to run. They've got to have great communication, great voice. So it's all about decision-making. And I put it to one RA senior member today. I don't think we've ever seen Matt Burke. or well, I don't think we would have seen Matt Burke make that mistake. And that person said, I don't think I ever once saw a Matt Burke <laughs> make an error like that. And when you put two in a game uh, off the back of that semi-final, the rocks and diamonds is unfortunately the way that people uh, now uh, consider Tom Wright. And when you when you go to a, a World Cup and it comes down to little moments in a quarterfinal or a semi and it's a knockout match. Those kind of things, you need a banker there. Oh. The, the concern with Andrew Kellaway had, had been for a long time his positional awareness and it probably due to the fact that he's barely played fullback when he burst onto the scene for the Waratahs. Uh, he played fullback in his younger years, but then Israel Flowers there. And, and he wasn't able to play and have those years of experience at fullback where he's been shuffled all over the place, much like Jordan Pattaya. It is, I think, the position where Eddie will lose the most sleep on because I think it's short. It's an Achilles heel, Achilles heel at hooker. But fullback is, is, a, is a position where you've got to get it right 99% of the time. And unfortunately, it seems like 75% of the time Tom Wright does. And it's the costly 25% that continually bites his sides in the backside. Uh, he could prove to be a better player in three years' time, uh, much like a, a Willie LaRue who used to have similar sure. sort of mistakes in his game. Willie doesn't have those game, mistakes in his game these days and hasn't for a number of years. He's a class player. He's the guy that I kind of consider him a bit alike, but a huge, um, huge decision for Eddie DeMake leading into a Bledisloe in two weeks' time. It's an interesting one. You talk about Carter Gordon. He was outstanding coming off the bench. Uh, we know that Eddie's spoken about Carter being a Bush James kind of type of player defensively. You couldn't have asked for much more from a guy that's never played at inside centre. Um, we, I don't think we'll see that going forward, even though Eddie speculated that he could be a 12 going forward. Um, I don't know if you could throw him in at fullback at such a late stage, given he's, he's barely played there. Um, but we don't know the answer, do we, at the moment? And that's that's the issue. No one really knows the answer. No, and I guess just to bring it back to LaRue again, I've no doubt that Tom Wright is probably pretty down in the dumps today. He'll be thinking, my goodness, those two errors I made, not only do they stand out like a sore thumb, but um, certainly, you know, they're not the kind of ones that you can make at a test level and, and expect to to keep your position. I, I do wonder if this is a moment in his career um, where Eddie says, you know what, no, I'm going to back this bloke. Um, he's my man. I've got to stick with him now. Um, we're two games in, we're short on time and, and he backs him through the Bledisloe for these next two games. And he comes out the other side and, and he's proven as, you know, a, a bit of a, a masterstroke of a call. Right. Um, but, um, maybe that just might be the situation that, that calls for that too, that there's, there's the guys aren't right. And that there are other options just aren't out there. Yeah, I know that he's a big Jordan Bataille fan. Whether or not he throws him at fullback, we'll just see him as that perfect utility player will be interesting. Um, the other thing that we've got to consider here is uh, who now 
forms the midfield because Lenny Katow was one of those guys that you've gone, he's 13 every day of the week. Thanks very much. We'll move along. But uh, a fractured scapula, six to eight weeks is the initial prognosis. That six weeks takes up to the Wallabies' uh, game in France against, uh, in Paris against France on August 27. Uh, eight weeks takes you up to uh, just beyond their first game against Georgia in Paris too. So rates in the clock there in the, in the, in the short term, do you consider a easy Parisi's type of player who's strong, bollocking, physical, um, got better throughout the super season, obviously missed a week or two at the back with injury before coming back in the, in the, uh, I think it was against Moana Pacifica on the, on the, on the right wing before going back to the centers for the quarterfinal loss. But I can almost, you could see a, a Karevi or a Parisi or alternatively, uh, maybe a Jordan Bataille at 12 with the Karevi at 13. Oh, I've, I'd been told three months ago that Jordan Bataille might end up at 12 in a Geordie Barrett kind of style, type of style of play. He's a guy that gets over the game line, strong, physical, yep. defensively stands up. Might we see another position that the tire ends up? That would be fascinating. I'm not sure if it will occur, but it does influence how you choose your fullback because if you've got ball runners and ball carriers as opposed to playmakers at 12 or 13, uh, sometimes you want someone at fullback who has the potential to uh, pass left and right. So uh, lots of decisions to be made over the next two weeks. They sure are. Um, and, and yeah, uh, that uh, injury news confirmed for Ikatao this afternoon. So uh, good news on on one front that he will be back uh, at the World Cup, but certainly a, a bit of pill to spot. So Olo, uh, at this point in time with um, the Bledisloe Cup games to come in the next couple of weeks. Uh, all right, mate. What other changes then? I, I mean, we've spoken about uh, Alatawa and Pareki, um a little bit. Uh, it's just a... Eddie was really happy with the set piece, wasn't he? And probably fair enough. Um, the lineout was solid, but I think for one throw, the scrum after giving away, I think James Slipper was caught in an early penalty. Um, but apart from that, it was pretty solid throughout and probably had the edge, you would have to say. But just around the paddock, those two guys um, with their handling, um, some of their defensive work, some of their ruck work, um, I just don't think they're quite where they need to be at this point in time. We know Taniela Tupu, Got back on the field in, in Tonga on uh, on Friday, so he's going to push there. But um, Parecki, again, he kind of seems like, you know, Eddie's tied to him a little bit there as well. Ulacy came on late um, and didn't really do a lot. I, I do wonder if, if Fezler's a chance and potentially even Falao Fainga, you know, back. We know how well he marshals that rolling ball, right? And that was a big moment too, wasn't it, there um, late in the first half when, the Wallabies did get a little bit of territory, a little bit of possession again from a penalty. It was a nice long kick for touch from Quade Cooper. I think about seven, eight metres out. And it was a perfect opportunity to to run that mall. Um, and Karevi just didn't quite nail it there at the back. Uh, Might have been a, a 50-50 call on a bit of a swim around the side from one of the Pumas uh, forwards. But um, he missed the opportunity to move that ball on turnover and the opportunity was missed. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, and that was a crucial moment. There were so many crucial moments throughout the game. And I kind of thought back to about the 50th minute when they decided to turn down a couple of shots and they went for the corner and then they called for the scrum. And fortunately, from an Australian perspective, Nick White scores that try. So often we've seen the Wallabies come away with nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely saw that late in the first half and it was uh, rubbed a bit more salt into the wound when Richie Arnold gets yellow carded on the stroke of halftime, an outstanding scrum to force a penalty uh, and, and come away with a 10 all uh, at, at halftime. Uh, I can't imagine there'll be too many changes in the, in that pack. I thought, obviously, Fraser McWright came in late for Michael Hooper. I believe he was always going to come off the bench. They were always looking at a 6-2 split. But I thought Fraser was excellent didn't get the breakdown steal that he would have hoped for, which sevens are kind of judged on these days, aren't they? But he often slowed the ball down, which which is what you need. Uh, but secondly, he didn't he, – he was physical. He, he made 19 tackles in 65 minutes, but they were not necessarily completely dominant. 
but they were strong tackles where they didn't make any yardage off him. He wasn't trampled over the top like a Michael Hooper. That's a decision to make for, for, for Eddie around his vision and whether or not he definitely sees Michael Hooper as part of his plans going forward over the next four months. Holloway was effective at the line out. I, I thought Rob Liotta made a good impact off the bench, particularly with Bourne Hand. Angus um, Bell too, massively, wasn't he? He was fantastic. Oh, oh. And that's what we've been missing from a Waratahs perspective all year. We, we missed it a lot for the international season last year for the Wallabies, clearly in South Africa too. Angus Bell is world-class. He just needs to stand on the field and he'll develop into the best loose head in the world. There's no doubt about it, I think. He's got the best running game going, going around. Um, uh, the issue we probably found was Eddie doesn't want to give a huge amount of minutes in Angus Bell's return game. Clearly doesn't completely trust Jordan Walisi to be able to throw straight and to nail his core roles. That's why, like, why else would you have your 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 loose head play 64 minutes, your tight head play 70 minutes, and your starting hooker play 70 minutes before getting burned on the outside? You just don't have your front row in international rugby play that many minutes today in the modern game because, uh, you, you know, we see South Africa, they brought on their bomb squad at you know, just after halftime or halftime and immediately they got a boost out of their scrum. There wasn't that confidence in the Wallabies, even though the Wallabies scrum was was pretty good throughout the night. I thought Skelton had a good game, got getting better, uh, still yep. needs to improve his fitness a little bit. I, I'd imagine drop a couple of kilos. He was slowing the line out, even though he was used. Uh, he only just got up there. <laughs> And uh, and Richie Arnold, I thought, was good without being amazing. But you're not going to see a Richie Arnold break the line. He's there for his physicality, to make a lot of tackles and to be great at the line out. We saw the most of that, except for the yellow card, where he would want his time over, getting himself in an awkward position where he gives away a penalty and ultimately yellow carded. Yeah, I do wonder if Eddie might look for a little bit more foot speed potentially against the All Blacks there in the pack and bring back Nick Frost uh, to partner Will Skelton. Um, all right, mate, just looking through uh, my notes there. What do we got? We've kind of been through most well, of... The, the, the one I would ask you is, is I thought Nick White was reasonable last night. It's very hard to operate and to bounce out at halfback um, to, to, to implement a running game when you've got slow ball and you've got barely any territory. But... There will be people, Tate McDermott injected a bit of pace, a bit of life in the, late in the second half when he comes on after 65, clearly pays his role in the Samu uh, Karevi try, was really good there, bought a Angus Bell to steam on to get over the game line and 18-meter carry. Um, are you happy with Nick White starting? Is he still the crucial person, uh, the main shot caller, the bloke who sets the tempo there? Or, or do you think he experiments a little bit Oh, look, I'm certainly happy with what Nick White is is doing. And I think, you know, the first thing that you judge a halfback on is his pass, right? And I can't think of any of the balls that Nick's thrown in these first two games um, of the rugby championship that you think, geez, that was dusty, right? In terms of hitting his mark, whether it to be forwards, short or, or going wider to Quaid and, and beyond. So, look, um, I will say one thing about Nick White. I think he's starting to get into very dangerous referee barking territory, um, almost to the point that Aaron Smith got to probably two or three years ago and realized that he needed to rein it in a little bit and probably was let go a lot longer, Aaron, than he should have been. Some of the treatment, he's barking at referees. Um, and then finally someone got to him and said, mate, you you know, you need to pull your head in. Nick is starting to bound sort of fringe on that same territory, I think. And I know it's, you know, in, inherent in all halfbacks to, to kind of do it, um, speaking as one myself. But it seems to be getting like there was one point early on where Yako told him last night, you need to step away and step away now. So that was when Nikitao scores the try, isn't it? Because I yeah. think you could almost hear it yes. in the mic, uh, no arms in that tackle. And obviously he's not come up and gently said it. I, I think you're right to point that out. Had that conversation with someone else today too. And and they agreed. It, it's, it, it's to the detriment of Australian rugby and their ability to influence games because they have no sway and haven't for a long, long time when it comes to 50-50 calls or just planting a feed inside the ref's brain. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, Richie McCaw, you think, was one of the great referee managers, wasn't he? And that was just as we were talking about over lunch today with, with my family and a couple of the young niece and, and nephew around. Oh, I think they got jibbed in on the, a couple of calls from Yucko. And, yeah, there probably was one or two 50-50s in that that didn't go their way. But when you look at the body of the Wallabies' work in recent years and you see that they have lost many a penalty count and also done some very you know, silly things along the way that, um, you know, that adds up. And and if you've got Nick White barking uh, in referees ears at the same time, it's, it's not going to do you any good uh, with that side of the game. So yeah, look, but uh, away from that, look, I, I thought his try underneath the sticks was, was really well taken. Um, probably caught, said a little bit more about the Pumas back row at that point. We're having a little nap um, given that Nick was kind of blocked to the left there and ducked that back around to the right. And, um, those guys were just sort of, you know, still hanging on there and probably had their heads down when they needed to be up. And that's all it took for, for White to get over. And But, but, but yeah. that's, a, that's a result of flankers knowing that they need to keep pushing at the scrum True. because their scrum was under pressure all evening. And when you're on your own goal line, you can't afford to give in the inch. I think it was more a result of, okay, this ball's actually not out of the scrum. We've got to keep going. But it was heads up rugby at its best, finding quite. Yeah, yeah, great try. Uh, all right, you you mentioned the the press conference earlier, Christy, and it's it's a good one to to touch on, particularly on this occasion because it was entertaining. And um, at one point, you know, Eddie was prepared, I think, to go all night. If we'd kept asking him questions, his media manager Marty probably would have just had to sit in the corner and fold his arms because Eddie was certainly up for a yarn. A um, couple of uh, interesting points in there and a couple of usual Eddie quips. Um, he described the Wallabies as being a bit like his old Datsun, was it the 200B? 1200. Uh, 1200B, sorry. And then you weren't actually familiar with what a Datsun was, mate. I think, you you know, showing your youth there is uh, you had to get the, the boss, Tony Harper. He, and hello to Harps. Um, I think his first car, he said, might have been a Datsun. Um, but yeah, that they, he'd fixed the timing belt and then, you know, the, the starter motor had breakdown sort of thing that he's, and that's how he described the Wallabies last night. They fixed the set piece from last week, but bemoaned their, their decision-making and uh, on the attacking side of the ball, also a, a lack of line speed in defense. So it, it wasn't doom and gloom. And it kind of made me think on the drive home from, from Parramatta had me questioning whether perhaps I'd been too harsh on them in my, you know, in my coverage for, for ESPN. And I described the, the world cup preps as being in, you know, complete tatters at this point in time um, with what's lies ahead around the corner. And I did wonder had I been too firm on that or whether I'd just been sucked in by a bit of, you know, Eddie, um, Eddie, uh, how should we call it? Eddie, Eddie fun and games in the press conference. So yeah, I don't know what your take on, on that was, mate. Um, outside of that, um, he, he said that also to my question around whether he he saw glimpses of the Wallaby way to win, which he'd spoken to reporters on Thursday around exactly what that was. And he, you know, kind of a bit of a curly response to the end with, well, I could give you an answer, but you probably wouldn't understand it. Um, well, Eddie, lay it on us, brother. Um, because, you know, I think everyone out there wants to hear it. Uh, and there's... There's Wallaby supporters who I think will will hang with this team through the Bledisloe because everyone gets involved and gets up for the Bledisloe. But if the World Cup preps aren't in you know tatters at this point in time, then then surely they're just going to be destroyed if they drop back to back games to the All Blacks. Oh, we have to be honest here. It was a blow to the Eddie ethos, wasn't it? The fact that they're now zero and two, having turned around and you know said see you later. Dave Rennie, thanks very much. We're bringing in a master of a bloke who can turn around teams in the blink of an eye and has an outstanding World Cup record. That will still play out and we'll see whether or not he can take a, a broken down car and, and turn it around, fix it up. Um, there was there was a few interesting ones in there because he spoke about the fact that I could have paired this team, uh, this side right back, stripped it right back. And and if I had have done that, we might have won and we might be having a bit more success at the moment, but it wouldn't have been good enough to win the World Cup. Now, you could say, is that a cop-out? Is, is that just smoke and mirrors a bloke who's trying to change the narrative because you've lost your opening two matches? Or do you believe him, give him the benefit of the doubt? I actually am prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt here because 
I, I do agree. They needed to take a chance to Wallabies and RA because I, I didn't see enough progression. Uh, the ability to turn things around, have an unproven uh, coach at World Cup records, um, even recently with Glasgow, with the inability to close out finals games. Uh, I think Eddie and the Wallabies did need a bit of a change up, but there's changes at coaches, there's changes in personnel, there's changes all over the place. So it was never going to be a, a quick fix. Whether or not they can do it in time remains to be seen, but it was entertaining Eddie at, at his absolute best. And he told, you know, midway through, you're right to, to highlight the fact that the media manager is just wanting to wrap things up. Um, having probably heard a little bit and he brushed him away and said, no, far, far away, boys, keep going. This might be your last chance. Um, it was interesting, though, that he said, if I'm the All Blacks, uh, watch out, you know, and and is that another smoke and mirror? Is that just an – Eddie has an outstanding record against the All Blacks, particularly uh, recently, um, pushed him on a couple of occasions, clearly that – that World Cup result in 2019, but also the World Cup semi-final result in 2003. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule the Wallabies out by doing something unimaginable and unthinkable uh, at the MCG. They're, they're close. Uh, there's some great elements of their play. They've got guys coming back um, from injury, but it's, it, it did, it did allow you to at least feel optimistic and positive somewhat. I think every single person leaving that presser last night would have felt, geez, I'm, I'm glad Eddie Jones is in charge because at least he makes it interesting, compelling. Uh, I, I loved it. I loved every second about the press center. I encourage people to listen to it. You can. You just tuck it up on YouTube or you know, read the various stories that are out there as a result. But it was, it was, it was entertaining. And certainly so was the test match, right? Like if you're a neutral fan last night, if you, you know, in New Zealand or South Africa or waking up early in the UK or France and you'd flick that on, it was actually really, you know, entertaining game of footy. And, and despite what, you know, Wallabies fans might think around Yako, I think he had a pretty, you know, solid game apart from potentially a couple of 50 fifties and that woeful miss off the, uh, the restart yeah. there that um, yeah. didn't go 10 and was clearly pay, played by the Pumas. But I put that more on, TMO Marius Yonker, who seemed to be, you know, actively um, seeking to get engaged, uh, to get involved in the game at every possible opportunity and neglected to on that occasion. So, um, but yeah, oh, you know, what was there? Um, six tries a piece or um, four, uh, seven tries, eight tries, sorry, three, three or four tries a piece. Um, and, you know, plenty of uh, line breaks all over the place. Um, you know, great, great tries. Um, some good quality, in, you know, in, intercepts and runaway efforts yeah. there from Carter Gordon. So it did have everything. Uh, it was, it was, a, it was a quality game. How do you compare it to the box in New Zealand? Or do, is it even worthwhile comparing it? Because what it did do was allow. Um, off the back of having seen New Zealand and South Africa, uh, New Zealand far too good for the Springboks, one or two controversial calls in that game. But from a super rugby perspective as well, it was a, a nice little statement to go, hang on a moment. I know everyone's talking about the North, that super rugby still is a product worth watching because you know what? The New Zealanders just did an absolute job on on South Africa, who are, of course, now playing up in the North with their domestic leagues. But they were so good out of the blocks, New Zealand. Once again, they carved up Argentina a week earlier, I think in Mendoza it might have been, but a week later to run out to, I think it was a 17-point lead against South Africa, um, long-range tries, cross-field kicks. Whenever New Zealand uh, puts out attacking kicks, they win games. And it's a historic, it's a, it's a, it's a fact. You look up the stats and they'll paint that picture. But... How do you place the Aussies and maybe even Argentina to where South Africa and New Zealand are after that game? Oh, I think they're clearly a step back. And the thing that stood out for me with the All Blacks is they seem to have that ruthless edge back last night, right? Like particularly in that first half when they, the opportunities were there when they got a bit of a roll on through the forwards uh, and then their, their Christmas and the skill execution. You mentioned the cross kicks there. Uh, Will Jordan, you know, just these classy um, cut back on the inside, finds Aaron Smith. Shannon Frazell looks like they finally, he's the man at number six, just a powerhouse there. 
Um, it looks to might have finally answered that problem position for them now with with back to back games. Um, a great great selection call from by Ian Foster to play Frizzell the last couple of weeks. There, I, I'm a huge Frizzell fan. That's it. And particularly given, you know, he's come off a few injuries in the last couple of years and a bit of indifferent form, it probably must be said with the Highlanders, but perhaps that's more a um, a result of, of playing in a team that hasn't had a lot of wins. But yeah, they just started to look like that All Blacks team that we probably remember and, and didn't see a lot of last year. Um, you know, Moonga, again, that beautiful little, um, was it Moonga or was it Barrett with that kickback for Will Jordan on the right-hand side, just the recognition of space. Um out by the touchline there and a, a sleepy Damien Delonde tracking back in defence, nowhere near it, um, was a slight little fumble, but have the ability to to maintain your poise and regather and, and score. It um, it just looked really threatening, didn't it, for, for what that they might be able to get back to now that they've got that whole coaching distraction completely out of the way. They know the situation that Ian Foster is the man of the World Cup, Scott Robertson next year. That's not hanging over their heads. They're not being asked a dozen questions about it. Every week, um, I just wonder about that little bit of freedom in their game, and that may be the result that we saw last night. Yeah, and look, I, I still think selection's a big thing for them going forward. I think they've got it pretty right thus far. I think it was nice that Darren McKenzie got a job, uh, got a go in Argentina to, to run the cutter at 10. Um, but clearly, they go with Moanga Barrett against South Africa. Does that... Um, give you an indication of where they're going forward. Uh, but it's not just that. <clears throat> Sam Whitelock to come back. Um, how does that affect Scott Barrett? Uh, when you start thinking of that 10-15 combination, how does that affect Damian McKenzie? Guys have egos. Players have egos. And when you've got world-class players that might not be playing, might not be in the 15, might not be in their preferred position, it you've got to have that a great ability to be as a coach, to be able to keep everyone happy because that's one of the challenges I think going forward for New Zealand is they've got a lot of quality players. They've got a couple of guys who've got big egos. How do you manage it uh, going forward? But uh, well played to New Zealand. They've they've answered every question thus far, Uh, but it's two weeks into, into the tournament. I think it was Ian Foster that said afterwards in the the post-match press conference, he was right to highlight this. The Chiefs beat the Crusaders twice throughout the regular season. What did they lose? They lost the final. So it's all well and good New Zealand playing outstanding rugby at this point in time. How do they manage the big moments, the pressured moments, uh, championship knockout kind of games? They're, They're the things that still remain to be seen what will happen. Yeah, 35-20 there, the score line at Mount Smart Stadium, home of the mighty New Zealand Warriors. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. They they looked really dangerous um, across the park and uh, a couple of, uh, you know, 50-50 calls again. Um, but I think they probably evened themselves out, right, with the with the Springboks. Uh, Colby going up for that try, uh, that contested it was a tr- It was a try. I think it was a try. I reckon yeah. they've got that that wrong. Uh, it was one of those ones where the one angle tells you one thing and the other tells you the opposite, right? And I think probably lacked the, had that gone up as on-field try, I don't think they actually made a firm decision, did they? They sent it up as just kind of, you know, we, we don't know. There wasn't a, a try or no try. Um, but yeah, I thought on the on the backward angle, it looked like it was a try, but on the, sorry, from the, the touch, uh, in-goal touch line angle, it looked like it was a try and then sort of coming from the field, um, it looked like a knock-on. So um, then the forward pass, you know, I, I thought it was probably a pretty flat ball. You see those given all the time when you we throw those. We saw it with Quade Cooper and Sam Karevi on the weekend exactly. as well. Yeah. When, you, when you're ripping those spiral cutout passes at speed, um, typically they, they do tend to, uh, momentum takes them forward. So, look, I, I thought it was probably 50-50. New Zealand were the better team. They got the result. Um, and, you know, there might be a few people whinging in the Republic. But, um, guys, if that's the case, uh, you were the poorer side on the night. And the All Blacks certainly deserved the win. Um, interesting you just mentioned that the super rugby point there before, Christy, and you'd actually retreated back up uh, into the uh, the press box again to get on with a bit of riding, leaving your, your boss, Tony Harper, down there to handle Michael Checker's um, portion, and that's the beauty of having multiple staffers at uh, at matches, and and well done to the Raw for um, pushing rugby as they do, and having the ability to to get out and do that. But um, he mentioned he was asked around whether 
Argentina and South Africa leaving Super Rugby uh, had made the competition poorer for it. Was the competition poorer for it rather? Um, that you know, not playing, having that Argentinian flavour um, with the Jaguares and obviously the the four South African teams, or even more in the past. And Czech's response again, entertaining. It was he was he was equally engaging as as Eddie was around. Well, the beauty of being in Argentina is that I just get to to kind of take hands off completely, and he didn't touch it with a ten foot pole. Um, and, and you know, kind of went into the politics around that and why it happened, and that he wasn't, he was pretty happy not to be involved. But, um, he also said that the Wallabies point blank will win their pool at the World Cup now that we know Wales are uh, in all sorts, right? They've got players dropping left, right, and center, um, retirements. Um, they've got it was, a, yeah. it, was a, it, it was an interesting statement that wasn't it? He didn't dance around it. Um, they're in a bit of chaos or complete chaos. Wales with a, I think, a wondering whether they should cut teams themselves and um, trying to do a new deal with a, the players' association around remuneration and whatever else. So, yeah, like it's, it was check check was good. I I enjoyed checks. He was obviously you know very relieved to get the win and an easy bit of pressure. Um, and you got to think, right? Argentina, they're, they're probably good enough on that result last night that um, they're capable of beating England, aren't they? They showed it last year. They certainly showed a lot more enterprise than what they did at, um, at Twickenham last year to beat England when, when Eddie said they, they just put sort of 40 kicks up um, the entire kicks, game. Kicks, kicks the le- le- leather off the Leather, leather yeah. off it. <laughs> Um, you know, they, they opened the Wallabies up. What was it? Virtually the first or second minute went through Ikatau, who we know is a quality defender. So a few new, bit of new blood coming through that, that squad from both the sevens and guys who, again, we probably would have seen had they been, the Haguaro still been around, but you know, these few other guys who play across Europe mainly coming through and they've got the established, you know, experience there and Montoya and Matera and, the locks yes. Alamano and Petty and, um, you know, Carreras is now at, at number 10, has got a full season of test rugby behind him, Buffelli at the back. Um, you know, there's genuine quality in that Pumas team. And if you were to, you know, sit down and, and do your first and second in those Rugby World Cup pools in, in Pool D there, you're certainly spending a lot of time on on England versus Argentina, aren't you? Oh, it, totally, yeah. And look... Japan's a bit of the sleeping giant there as well. I don't think too many people have been speaking about Japan. They haven't, let's be honest about it, where everyone's talking about Argentina and England in that pool, much like people were only talking about Ireland and South Africa. But despite the fact that, you know, Scotland, a very, very good attacking, threatening side is is in that pool too. Um, I think Argentina are a, a huge threat. And Eddie was right to point out that they've got a great World Cup record. Yes, they missed the quarters last uh, time round um, in, in 2019, but they made the semis in 2015. They made the, tw- the semis in France in 2007 uh, themselves. So you can't underestimate them. There's a, more than enough, not only attacking potency that has come through part, uh, in part the Sevens program, their Sevens side, one of the best in the world by... Yep. and continually up at the, the top over the last six months. Um, those guys coming through, the progression there, great program, but they're physical, aren't they? So you know that they're going to compete. The, the, their biggest area, I think, of improvement, firstly, they need to get the cohesion right, which is much as what Australia needs to do too. But secondly, their scrum, uh, yeah, it's probably been the one area in recent years where they've fallen away, which was surprising given Mario Ledez has spent some time there. But if they can get that scrum right over the next few months, uh, take it to teams like Australia, then then they become really threatening because they've got some great outside backs that burn players and they've got a very good goal kicker and Buffelli, who once again, despite missing the first one, not coming off the post, uh, can slot them from 50, uh, kick them from out wide. So no surprises that they won. They're a good international team that will very much push England come to uh, come the World Cup in a couple of months' time. But but also, it'll be so fascinating come, come that first weekend, of, uh, sorry, the second weekend of October when you've got 
uh, quarterfinals in Marseille, Australia, England, the possibility. We know what happened in 2007. Uh, you don't want to go down that path yet. There's a lot of things could happen. As as Czech said on Thursday, to try to make a prediction like that would be like making a prediction with the lottery. Not quite as many mathematical equations to get to that point, but uh, there's a lot of rugby to be played between now and then. Absolutely, absolutely. But you, you think about Argentina, and even if they weren't to to finish second, they now they've got you know, a victory over Australia to think back if they did happen to line up against the Wallabies in a, in a quarterfinal and say, look, we just beat these blokes in their own country and just that kind of uh, be able to take that mentality into a match like that would would be huge. Um, all right, mate, before we wrap up, um, I, I guess a couple of other Australian results. Uh, under 20s finishing fifth at the World Championship. That, of course, won by France. Again, who belted Ireland in that final and I mean, kudos for both those nations for clearly being one and two in the world at test level um, and now, you know, reaching the final. But um, that's three straight tournament wins for France. Um, and uh, what about um, uh, Tua Lagi? The next generation of Tua Lagi is coming through. Um, it would be uh, Manu's nephew. Um, I'm not sure which one of his brother's um, sons it is, but it's turned up in France uh, at about 139 kilos or something extraordinary playing uh, at lock. Um, but that just says a hell of a lot about let's before we get to Australia, uh, just a little sidebar around just how France have, have got their house in order, right? Yeah. House and order pathways, a, a really clear, uh, uh, path to the national side, <clears throat> uh, great participation. We know that their domestic competition is going really well. They got it in order around eligibility, how many players, how many clubs could, you know, how many foreigners per team and on the field at any one time. Uh, they've had a, a resurgence in rugby over the last five years. It was influenced by the marvellous work from Fabian Gautier, the coach who looked ahead to 2023 and said, no, we need to make sure that some of the players now we're going to pick for 2019, even if they're not quite ready, we're going to pick them so that they're ready for 2023. But if there's a, it's very hard to compare different programs across countries, but there's some fundamentals that Ben Darwin and those sorts of people with the analytical teams would be able to go, well, if you do this, you're going to get X. And if you do that, you're going to get Y. And whatever you're doing from an Australian rugby perspective and a rugby Australia perspective, they've just got rid of their high-performance general manager. They're uh, going through the stage of drawing up applicants. I think they're going to be taking that to market sooner rather than, than later. That's hugely important because we know that the work that Ireland and France have done is paying through consistent, sustained success. And whether or not they win the World Cup or not, we'll see. But the fact that Ireland has been world number one in 2018, world number one in 2023, sustained success at both 20s level, finding it at sevens, uh, they're the benchmark in terms of how do you start to uh, improve your high performance system? Because we know New Zealand have been there for a long, long time, but we've seen two nations come not from nowhere, but come back to the wrecking board and, and, uh, I hope, and I think they are, Phil War and Hamish McLennan, those sorts of people are looking at what's going on elsewhere in the world without copying it, but seeing some of the pillars that they've put in place to get to where they are. Yeah, Australia, they finished fifth, defeating Wales uh, in the fifth place playoff, I think sort of about 50 to 27 or something. So a good uh, finale for them having beat New Zealand in the, the kind of the fifth place semis. Um, just, yeah, lamented. Uh, obviously, that big loss to to Ireland around where they they probably got the rough rough end of the stick in that game in terms of a couple of high tackles that certainly looked like red cards wherever else we'd we'd seen them and then drew with England, um, which meant they they didn't go through as the highest placed second place uh, getter. Um, so yeah, I, I guess you'd say a fair return for for Nathan Gray in that role, um, a guy who you know is very much looks like a career coach now is is in the pathways whether he can find a super rugby job potentially in the few years. You think that maybe Japan might be an option for his development as well. We know he's a defensive coach previously under Michael Checker for the Wallabies. So um, yeah, a, a coach that I, I guess now has had that experience like Jason Gilmore did um, in 2020 at the last, sorry, 2019, the last under twenties championship going back a while now because of COVID and came back uh, to the Waratahs as an assistant and is still there. 
So, yeah, look, um, clearly they would have gone there to South Africa expecting, you know, mate, to make the, the semis and, and push for the title, but um, not a bad result. Not a bad result. I think we saw a back line that's got plenty of potential and excitement. Um, a good, solid house pairing that we're going to see a lot, lot more in the years to come with the Waratahs and Teddy Wilson and Jack Bowen. Um, some some talent in the centres with the the Vihus and the Henry O'Donnells, some speed out wide with the Derby Lancasters, the Mason Gordons, uh, the, the, the Henry McLaughlin Phillipses of the world, uh, Harry, Harry McLaughlin Phillips rather, um, uh, so some some talent there. It's probably up front. There's not a huge no. That, no, they would have got beaten well if they had made them. They the look light on stages, up front, yeah. light on, and that's probably where you go. Okay, that's not a vintage crop, but the tight head I think is that the Brumbies been um, who who was injured against Ireland, uh, and the game turned after he left after 30 minutes. I'm pretty sure he's been signed up with the Brumbies. Uh, he's a player of the future. As for the others, obviously, you need to get a bit more bulk and hopefully they get better in the years to come because you can't always judge a, a forward pack or, or a player when they're 18 or 19 with the development that will happen over the next couple of years. So, yeah, some, some things to work with, but particularly in the backs. Absolutely. And uh, to finish up, Wallaroos concluding their uh, Pacific for... Uh, campaign with a heavy loss to Canada. Um, they just looked a bit tired. I, I sort of watched about 60 minutes of this one yesterday um, morning uh, and they, you know, Canada just got a roll on. They're an excellent team, Canada. They're in that elite group of, of women's nations behind England, uh, New Zealand, and uh, they're probably, you know, next in line there alongside France. Um, we'll uh, push New Zealand for a little while, uh, previously Canada the week, the week earlier, but um Wallaroos, I guess, as we said last week, the, the big bonus from that is that they will come out of this uh, having qualified for W15-1. They'll get games, as I understand it, now against England, France and and Wales. I think it's just a straight crossover between the two hemispheres. Uh, those games will be in New Zealand while the, the Men's Rugby World Cup is on. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it's development forward from last year. That's a result that would have been the goal, um, clearly, to big defeats by New Zealand and Canada, and they'll get another crack at the Black Ferns, um, I think, in September before that uh, W15 competition kicks underway. But, um, yeah, there's still a fair bit of work to go there too. Yeah, it was never going to be solved overnight. They took probably a step forward in some of the Super Rugby franchises, but they need time in the saddle, don't they? More and more tests. But the as you say, the good thing is eight tests, I think it is this year, which is the most that they would have ever played. Um, outside of, I think, World Cup years. But the more of that can occur, there's no sugarcoating it. They know where they are. There's a lot of ground to make up. But um, I think you're right. Like, there's there's enough there to see things are going well. But much like the Wallabies uh, and, and the men's side of things, they've got to get their house in order. They've got to get more numbers. They've got to get more regular matches. They can't just be playing a handful of Super W games. They've got to get better more sustained programs to be able to compete on the international stage. They sure do. They sure do. Uh, and uh, I know world rugby deserve a wrap for getting this W15 program up and running this year, uh, quality games for the women. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're all building obviously to, to 2025 world cup, which is at a shorter turnaround because of course, last year's event was delayed a year from, from 2021. All right, mate. Um, thanks again for your company tonight. Um, I'm I'm busted. I feel like I'll probably have a bit of dinner and go to bed. Uh, maybe a bit of Scottish Open on here in the background too. And the, a big week for golf fans out there for the Open. I know you'll be uh, strapping yourself in. Of course, uh, no rugby this weekend for the Wallabies. It'll probably be pretty quiet on the rugby front as well, right across the board. It might have to be what bit of shoot shield action on. Uh, that's a great thing. And there's a couple of people making calls out to say, yes, we need some of these players playing shoot shield and club rugby, both, you know, hospital cup and down in Melbourne and Perth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think great shout for some of those guys that might need half an hour or an hour or whatever it might be before a potential bledder. So call up, I completely agree. I think the Wallabies going to camp uh, a few days off. And then they, I think it might be Wednesday or Thursday, they get back together and they start hitting the training paddock. British and Irish Lions fixtures confirmed on Wednesday, I think it yes, is, up in yes. Brisbane. So there'll be no shortage of content 
later in the week, obviously a lot of analysis now, but um, you know, it's it's quick, it's a bladder slow in, in two weeks time. It'll start that week, the the fun and games, and it'll be good to be welcoming across our New Zealand colleagues across the ditch. Will we see a different result? I'm not quite sure about that, but but still a lot to be excited about. And uh, I think it was a great weekend of rugby to get excited about of, of the months to come uh, and enough there to think that all four nations and Australia and Argentina included can make a semi-final. And yes, they might have a, a, a generous draw, uh, but but to make a semi-final, you've still got to be a good team. You absolutely do. And uh, of course, we all know what happened in Melbourne last year at Marvel Stadium. Uh, those keen eyes uh, or keen rugby supporters with a keen eye out there would have seen that, um, yes, uh, Matthew, Matthew Raynaud was actually doing that game at Mount Smart on the weekend. If you've forgotten his, uh, his French accent, then you might have picked up the whistle that he uses. Seems to be half a pee in there. It's not quite the full uh, whistle when he, uh, he gives it a good blow. But um, who knows who we got next week? I haven't done my research that much just yet, mate. So we'll, uh, we might leave that for this time next week um, because, uh, yeah, I think I'm done. And uh, it's been fantastic as ever. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks all. Talk to you soon.